fast food market is a part of our society. I mean, go down the list. McDonald's, Burger King, Dairy Queen, Taco Bell. Wherever can you drive through and get fast food, you know what I'm talking about. And as Norris was here, he would say Billy Miller's. And I mean, uh, everybody here has been to Billy Miller's. If you've ever purchased purchased food at that counter or through that, I guess the drive-through, the answer is already there. You're taking it to go. But if you go inside, like Ray Kroc experience there, often they would say, for here or to go. We seldom, those of us who do take it home, seldom make it there without first sticking your hand in the bag. Now I'm wondering, now Aaron, you just threw it out there. Do you ever like reach over and grab one of those waffle fries? Tempted, but never, yeah, okay, very good. But if it was your own bag of fries or your own breakfast taco or your own, even the drinks, I mean, how many of you wait till you get home before the straw goes through the top or the coffee is peeled back? You're already sampling it probably before you get to your destination. So all week long, I've asked people to look at the takeout or the takeaway for the feeding of the 5,000. I knew I was going to preach on this passage uh, weeks ago, and I was asking folks to tell me what they thought the main takeaway, the main joy, the main food for their soul, that which would sustain them here in worship and sustain you at home and in the days to come, what would it be? What would it be in this passage that most of us have read or heard about at some point in their life? So, Before we consider the bread of life in this passage of here or to go, let's read the text. So if you have your Bibles, we are now in the sixth chapter of John as we continue on our journey in John that began at the beginning of this year. We're at chapter 6, verse 1. Sometime after this, if you read commentators, and I'll try to walk you through some of this because not all of it will I be able to get to today. Um, So just as we go in the text, most commentators argue how long is it sometime after this? Is it a full year? Is it six months? He's come from Jerusalem. Now he's going back to Galilee. He introduces the second Passover. There are three Passovers mentioned in the Gospel of John. So some time has transpired. And Jesus crosses to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee. That is the Sea of Tiberias, so named after one of the Caesars. There was a city there, and often they would call it the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And a great great crowd of people followed him because they saw the miraculous signs he had performed on the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover feast was near. Some would draw that those crowds perhaps were on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, and they were no reason, another reason to have a large crowd. People were already headed towards celebrating the Passover. Verse 5, when Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he had already in his mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, eight months' wages. Other translations may something, say something like 200 denarii, the daily wage for a man, working man. And if you take 200 and divide it by 25, you probably come up with eight. Eight months' worth of wages, because you wouldn't work on the Sabbath. Eight months' 
would not buy enough bread for each one to even have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go amongst so many? Jesus said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place. And once again, this helps commentators as they think about the Passover, which typically happens in the springtime, March or April. The, the hillside is still green. It still had the moisture of the spring, so it's not a barren place. And the men sat down. Just like men, they sat down while the ladies stand, huh? That's, that's supposed to be funny. But the men sat down, and about 5,000 of them, Matthew will add and say, just counting men. There were women and children there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks. That word is, in the Greek, is a derivative of Eucharist, which I don't think he was implying communion at this point, but it is that idea of goodness and giving God thanks for what he's given us and distributed it to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. When they had all had enough to eat, not just a couple, when they all had had enough to eat, 5,000 plus the women and the children, when they all, let me say that again, when they all had had enough to eat off of five barley loaves and two small fish, Jesus says, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted, which is a very common Jewish tradition. Especially in Jesus' day, they often would leave some food for the beggars. But here they're on a hillside. They're going to take off and go from there. Collect everything. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Remember we referenced Moses last, last week from Deuteronomy saying that there would be one who would be coming? Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. They obviously did not want what they were wanting to bring into time frame. His kingdom would be different than the kingdom they expected. One other commentator added to it, the Passover season is a, not the, quite the same as the 4th of July, but if you can think about the Passover, they were able to escape another nation's domination. They were able to get out of Egypt. So Passover has some 4th of July elements in it. So no wonder these people were ready to take this man who could feed them and make them the new king and let's get underneath, out from underneath this Roman rule. Pray with me, please. Father, as we look at this passage and we try to answer the question, here to go, maybe we always know that the bread of life is here and we are to take it to go with us wherever we are. Speak to us this day as we find that which only your son could do, the miraculous feeding of perhaps 10,000 people from just a small lunch for a boy. But yet, Lord, what he was foreshadowing in the verses to come, that he is the very bread of life and that whoever believes in him, they might have eternal life. 
This I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So first let me, I think I have a slide on there here to go. That's the title. I think I have a slide on there about the various parallels. So if you have your Bibles and you want to, or you take notes, uh, you can flip back and forth like I did. Because <laughs> I, I know it's in all four of the Gospels, right? I mean, every preacher, every commentator will say, this is the one miracle that's in all four of the Gospels. Well, actually two miracles that are in all four of the Gospels. The resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000. But then in Mark 8 and in Matthew 15, there is a feeding of 4,000. So there are two gigantic crowd feedings that are mentioned in Mark and in Matthew. In those passages, uh, that 4,000 is fed by, I believe, seven loaves of bread and a few fish. It doesn't actually count it out and spell it out. And then they collect large baskets, I think it's seven, in those feedings of the 4,000. So here we are in what most of you have is a very familiar text. You've heard it preached. You know about it. Matthew says it happened right after John the Baptist, they found out that John the Baptist had been beheaded. So they were grief-stricken. They were hurting. Jesus' cousin had been executed. He'd been murdered. And now they had withdrawn from that public ministry trying to recover in their hearts. I believe it's Mark who says that they were exhausted from the ministry. They were tired. They, they had been serving others, and they wanted just to set and have their hearts restored for a moment. So there they are, sad and tired, and they look up and see 5,000 to 10,000 people following them. There'll be no respite here, guys. Jesus is going to have to do something. And Jesus then asks a question. So that's the first point I would like you to consider today. Listen to Jesus' question. That little conversation between Jesus and Philip is one of the hinge pieces in this entire story. Philip was from the city of Bethsaida, the house of fish. He was introduced to us with his brothers in chapter 1. And he knew this area around Galilee. And Jesus goes to him, this is your home area. Where are we to go to find food for these people? Now, we know it's, it's, a, it's a test question, if you will. And we also know that 2,000 years ago, there wasn't Ray Kroc and there wasn't you know, Chick-fil-A. There wasn't a Subway. There weren't all these carry-out places you might be able to go. But Jesus is asking him as a question. And Philip's answering takes it to a different level than the level Jesus was seeking. Jesus is asking a where question. It's a faith question. And Philip answers with a how response, a lack of faith answer. Think about that. How are we going to feed them? Jesus didn't say how. He said where are we going to feed them? So as we think about this, how many times has ministry opportunities, like the man right here on the front row for us, come and say, here's what God can do. And instead of saying, how may I be a part or where can I go, what does it cost? Who will volunteer? It happens in churches, I think, all the time. We missed Christ's invitation to join him in God's mission. We miss opportunities because we are constantly saying how versus 
where should I go? Where can we get somebody to stand up and say yes to God? Where can somebody say, here I am, send me? Does anybody have the faith to trust him and take big risks? I was driving here. I, I told uh, Dennis in my office today, I, I have, this is one of those passages I knew so well, and I've asked so many people the question, what's the takeaway? I, I feel like there are, and I'll talk to you about that in a second. There's so much in it, and I thought, with this part that I've tried to pick up on, the fact that I have been this way in my life, God has said, where? And I said, how? And screwed up the whole process. Because we have more faith in the FDIC than we do in the GOD. We have more faith in what man has done than what God will do. We hear that question and we want to reduce it to, how can I pay for this? How many volunteers will do this? And how often the kingdom of God crawls instead of runs. Well, let's make it down, bring it down. How often First Baptist Church of Holotus crawls because we ask, how can we possibly do that rather than send me? I will go. Enter Andrew. I picture a young man, him, you know, running up to Jesus. The Greek word is lad. It can be translated slave, but and I think in the context and most of the translators over the years, it, it is a young man, a young boy, who's come with his sack lunch, in my mind. He has five barley loaves. Any of you bread makers at home? One? Do you make barley loaves? Okay, you make Sabbath bread. Very good. So I like unleavened bread then. All right, very good. So she does? Your wife makes barley loaves? She makes bread. Okay. So I, you guys heard me this week. I memorized this as a kid. I thought they were barely loaves. <laughs> Not like, a, you know, like it was barely bread. And little did I know how wise I was as a child because barley loaves were the poorest of the poor bread. In fact, in Scripture, there are some commentators who will point out to say this was the bread that was offered when you had been unfaithful. This was the bread that no one really wanted. So here's a little boy with this unwanted bread and these two fish that William Barclay, the commentator, says that they are probably like sardines that the area of Galilee was known for their pickled fish. <clears throat> I don't think I'll have that for lunch, but they were known out throughout the Roman Empire because you couldn't get fresh fish everywhere. Now, around the Sea of Galilee, you might get a fresh fish, but if you were traveling, you know, by camel or by horse or by foot, you're going to have to pickle the fish, dry the fish to take it and make it transportable. And Galilee was known for that. And here comes this little boy with this poor man's bread. And let me just pause on that for a second. He, he turns what others would reject to being that which would not only sustain but satisfy. My mother tells that her mother made biscuits every morning. Every morning. 
Some of you who grow, grew up in a Spanish home, or at least the mama that made, or daddy that made tamales, uh, not tamales, uh, tortillas. Anybody grow up that your mom or dad made tortillas frequently? Anybody? Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I've never tried to make one. You know, I, I can't imagine. Mine would come out like really hard pancakes, I'm sure, <laughs> over on everything. And, and, and not to offend my mother, but my mom grew up in a financially challenged home and those biscuits were I mean all that, that grandma could do and she would say on occasion there might be I think you've said a piece of ham sometime or gravy yeah there you go so those of you who grew up in homes where they made tamales my guess is it's fairly similar to a biscuit and a tamale and not tamale tortilla I'm sorry I got I'm getting hungry are there any nachos out there where's that chick-fil-a when I need it you know but if you grew up in a home when they made uh, tortillas every day, it was probably, once again, because it was financially the best thing to do for the family. And it isn't wonderful that now that you're grown and perhaps can buy store-bought bread, as my friend Marcus told me with store-bought jelly, that you would love to have one of those biscuits that Mama made or one of those tortilla, tortilla, tortilla tamales, yeah, tortillas that uh, your mom or dad made. The beauty of taking what others might have cast out becomes the precious. And that's what Jesus did. He took this little boy's lunch and shared it with everyone. Not day-old bread, not moldy bread, but poor people bread. And in this, after he answers this question or Philip tries to answer, and Andrew tries to answer. I mean, I, I like Andrew. At least I can see this little boy going, hey, yeah, I'm the one. I got something. And I know there are some commentators that want to explain it. Barclay is one of those. He wants to explain it away that other people perhaps had their lunches, and they just didn't bring them out until Jesus got that. I don't think that's right at all. The Scripture says that he took five pieces of bread and two little fish and fed 5,000-plus. So in this this application for us when we listen to Jesus' question, consider how can you be utilized in the mission and in the miracles of God's providence. So the last thing as we look at this, and as I see I'm getting closer on time, savor his compassion. That's my takeaway from looking at this all week. Jesus had compassion on all those people. And it struck home to me, and I shared it in our staff meeting, and I'll try to keep it generic, but last week I was tired. The older I get and the longer I preach, I find out how much I really am an introvert. And I like to go home, and I like to recharge my battery, make friends with my couch. And, <laughs> and, and as we were locking the doors... Last week, I think Aaron and some of the praise band were still in here, and I didn't even look who was outside. I just made a beeline to my car because I think that half of my family had already gone to a restaurant, and uh, I guess I'll go to the restaurant because I like to eat, but I would have loved to just got a takeout or takeaway and taken it home, but you go there, and I didn't even look who might have benefited from a meal and fellowship with another Christian. So have compassion as you look at others and that convicts me and I know that Jesus was not selfish he was compassionate and I know that 
you have your takeaways from this passage and those 5,000, 10,000 people, they would have takeaways. You know, the bread was too dry, the sardines were too salty, I didn't get wine. But they, none of them could have said, I did not get satisfied. I didn't get enough to eat. They could not have said that. And as they sat down, in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, he said they sat down in groups of 50 and groups of 100. So that was an orderly service to them. And as they were served and after they'd eaten all they could eat, Jesus says, collect up the leftovers. And he sends out perhaps the 12 disciples. It doesn't say that they were the 12 that come up, collect the 12 baskets exactly, but that's probably a good connection. And there's a, uh, a Roman writer that enlightens some of this. Uh, there's a guy named Juvenal who was a uh, satirist, a satirical writer of the first century who loved to pick on the foreigners that lived in the Roman Empire. He often liked to pick on Jews. And he would say that every Jew would always be seen with a basket in one hand and a clump of straw in the other hand. The basket to hold their food and the straw to make a bed for when they laid down because they were nomadic people. So if you can imagine, Jesus is telling his disciples to go out with your basket and collect your lunch because we're getting ready to go on the next mission. Don't leave anything behind. We've got work ahead of us. So eat in or take out? The answer is yes. We must dine together in worship, in fellowship, in learning, in discipleship, and growth. But we must also take the bread of life with us wherever we go, sharing that bread with others and sustaining ourselves for the journey. Whether you're at home or at work, in the car, at the park, in the restaurant, wherever you are, to say, he, Jesus, is the bread of life. May I share him with you. Now, one last illustration. And those of you who know how old I am, uh, welcome back, Cotter. I'm looking to some of the more senior people. Yes. Yeah. Some of you ever heard of John Travolta? You will see the very young version of him because there's another character. He was Vinny, what? Vinny Barbarino or something like that. There was another guy that I think my sister was actually in a play with. Weren't you in the play with Horshack? So she has a signed poster from Horshack. Horshack was known for having the answer. And he's the guy I wish I had in church every Sunday when you say, will you do this? Here's what Horshack would do. And you can make a difference if you know this. That's John Travolta on his closest fist. I got it! I got it! Call me Horshack, if you will. Send me. I hope you could say, call me Horshack. For take out or dine in, always with Jesus. Stand with him, please, we pray. Our Father, I know that this uh, miraculous event of feeding these people that your son had compassion upon has so much more to it than I could ever try to explain today. We see in it the, the Passover, the Paschal Lamb. We see Jesus breaking bread. We see Jesus as being the one who would be broken for us. We make a lot of after the miracle connections. But right now, Lord, I pray that you would connect with each one here. Let them be the one who says, 
Not how are we going to afford, afford it, but where do you want me to go, Lord? Here I am. Send me. If there's someone today who's never come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, let these steps be the place that they come and pray and ask Christ into their heart. We'll have members of our prayer team that could be here and pray with them if they have other needs or concerns. But Lord, let your spirit move in our midst. For I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.